Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber about what's been going on with the USC football team. Short week. Already had a couple of practices uh, Monday and Tuesday instead of the normal Tuesday and Wednesday. So a lot of stuff we can talk to. And we're going to get to a lot of your questions. Tons of questions you guys have sent in. We love it. Keep sending them in. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. So if you want to leave us a voicemail, call us 641. 641- 715-3900, extension 816-646. Uh, you can also go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page from your device, your computer. You can leave a voicemail that way as well. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at InsideTroy. You can go on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast, itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. A lot of different ways to get a hold of us. We do appreciate you coming on, and we appreciate Dan Weber joining us. What's up, Dan? How are you? Very good. Uh, uh, I thought coming off of a, I thought a really good practice, uh, Tuesday morning. I, you know, just perfect football weather, bright, sunny, uh, everybody, you know, looked like they were really into it. If they, you know, uh, dodged the bullet, everybody was healthy pretty much to start. And if they dodged the bullet of, you know, there were some late, uh, you know, issues, you know, on the practice field. Khalil Rogers, Claude Salon, we'll see, uh, you know, where that goes, but, uh, uh, we'll know a lot more tomorrow. But, uh, but I think the good thing is, uh, you get a short week, even though, uh, uh, then next week, it gives you an extra day to get ready for Oregon. And, you know, and it also gives you cold weather to get ready for cold weather. Uh, why they get, you know, who in the world schedules you for the cold weather games in November? You know, I mean, it's like, why don't you go to Oregon in September <laughs> or go to Colorado in September? You know, it's just, especially if you're going to go and then play a night game. I just, it's just, these are not ideal, you know, scheduling situations, but, uh, at least, you, you know, you try to make the best of it and you, you take the short week this week and you get the extra day to get ready for Oregon. But then again, you got back to back travel week too. So, uh, you know, they, kind of got the short end of the stick on on this part of the schedule it looks like yeah two back-to-back road games of, and two cold weather places uh we're going to get to all that stuff we want to talk about practice dan and get to everyone's questions just want to thank our sponsor for the tuesday show michael Moline real estate so if you're in socal somewhere and you need some help selling a property definitely check out michael if you want to buy something uh, at least you can go to michael or give him a call at 310-275-4688 He's a tried and true Trojan fan, Dan. We know him pretty well. And you can hear, uh, hear his message too at the end of the show. Um, but Dan, you know, it's funny. It was a, it was a good practice on Tuesday. I thought this was Tuesday was the normal Wednesday practice where they did third down and, and some of the, those kind of installs. But the, the interesting part is that Clay Helton thought Monday was like one of the best practices ever. And we were watching it and like, eh, it doesn't seem all that good. Yeah. We, uh, you know, my decision was he's grading on the curve because it was Monday. And, you know, they didn't have much time to get ready for it. And they didn't have much time to get over the bruises and the bumps and what have you. So 
you know, for what you had to do, uh, you know, coming into a Monday practice. Uh, and I do think the competitive tone is set with the nine-on-seven run session, and, and they did really go after one another, you know, in that. So uh, you got to like that part of it, that, that there is that kind of, you know, high-level competition between a defense that is now geared to stop the run and an offense that's geared, you know, to get the running game going. And there's a lot of pride on the line, you know, with these guys. And uh, so that kind of competitiveness, you know, the, the normal competition Tuesday going to Monday, I think is what, you know, Clay was focused on. Um, well, let's jump in these questions, Dan. we got a whole bunch of them. It's a wide range, questions from all over the place about the team, about the Arizona game, about Clay Helton, about the coaching search. So we'll try to get to all of these. We appreciate everyone taking the time to write in. Um, first one is, this is Perry from Kaysville, Utah. Long-time listener. Love the podcast and your Pac-12 podcast. Great work, guys. Uh, question for Dan. How come Arizona never gets called for illegal man downfield penalties? I could, I counted numerous times where Arizona's offensive line was more than five yards past the line of scrimmage on pass plays. He said the rule is three in college, one in the NFL. Uh, Arizona's first TD should have been called back due to this. Is Rich Rod exploiting a rule that is rarely called in his run pa- in his run pass option attack? Not sour grapes against Zona, as this should be the ref's responsibility to enforce it, not Rich Rod. I think that's a really good point. I think that run pass option really does cause problems for Pac-12 officials who tend to get overwhelmed in uh, you know situations where they're really fast breaking. And uh, you know, for example. Those guys are downfield, and if that quarterback pulls the ball back and takes off, they're okay. They're good to go. And they sneak down the field the next time, and they don't even know whether he's going to run or or pass it. And let's say he pulls up and and throws the ball. That's a really, really good point. And I used to notice that uh, I thought Oregon got away with some of that stuff. Uh, I I do think if you run, you know, the run pass option – in the Pac-12, you've probably got a chance of getting away with it a little bit just because you're kind of in a, you know, jailbreak situation where guys are going here and there. And uh, you probably wouldn't want to depend on Pac-12 officials to pick that stuff up because that's really, that's really fast-moving stuff, and that's just not something you, you see the Pac-12 guys all over. They, they, they tend to... If the game is going really high, uh, high speed, they kind of just sit back and watch. <laughs> uh, it's the only time you don't see them throwing their flags because they're not sure what the heck's going on. So, but you make a really good point, uh, that that may be kind of a flaw in, uh, in the way college football is officiated if you are a run pass option team where the quarterback on any play can pull up and throw the ball. I'm going to have to take. Uh, before he gets the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I'm going to take a look at the tape. I didn't really notice that, so I'll. Uh, yeah, I'll I hadn't thought about it either. Uh, I used to notice Oregon. I thought had guys all over the place, and you know when you had a, a Marcus Mariota, he could do whatever he wanted, you know, and then at the last minute, and uh, and at that point, I'm not sure anybody's locating where everybody is, uh, but. Uh, uh, we really need to take a look at it. That's a, a really, and you know, you have some of that this week. Uh, maybe not quite the same extent, you know, the run pass option, but uh, here's some of that. And uh, very good, very good observation. We had a couple of questions, Dan, about uh, safety John Plattenberg, who didn't even start uh, against Cal, didn't play a single defensive down 
uh, against Cal and then uh, started and, and had some big plays against Arizona. But I'll read you both. Uh, this is first one's from Matt. It says, first, thanks for doing a great job. Many people are giving deserved accolades to Juju and Rojo for great games against Arizona, but I think John Plattenberg was the real game changer. His interception was huge in the first half and maybe even more importantly, catching that Wildcat on the uh, uh, open field on the broken kickoff return to stop a touchdown was huge. Instead of a touchdown, Arizona got a penalty and a sack and then had to punt. To me, that was the play of the game. Is Plattenberg getting the recognition he deserves for saving the, the Arizona game? That's for Matt. And then what, Earl in West L.A., can you give me some background on John Plattenberg? His interception to stop Arizona drive was impressive until he ran down the kick returner to save what could have been a touchdown. What incredible speed. What can you tell us about him? Well, I can tell you this. I uh, He was one of the guys we were trying to locate to talk to after practice today, and somehow he escaped. I uh, <laughs> wanted to really, you know, get into that uh, in terms of, uh, you know, he's a kid that w- went to high school for two years uh, in Southern California and went to high school two years in Houston uh, and came back to USC. Uh, a really delightful kid to, you know, to talk to, very upbeat, uh, expects a lot of himself. Uh, I think on the first interception, he would say that's a team play uh, because of the, all of the things that happened on that play. He was in the right place at the right time. But the second play, that was just unbelievable effort. And he is a kid that could, I think he ran track at least his junior year at, at Houston, uh, what is it, Yates High School maybe. But he was a, he was a track guy his uh, junior year, uh, and he really showed it. There, he he's probably not got ideal safety size, but he's a tough kid, you know, a strong kid, uh, and and I don't think we ever got exactly, you know, the story as to why he didn't play uh, as much, or you know, he didn't play special teams, but but no, you know, true defensive snap the week before, but he certainly was in the right place at the right time, uh, you know, with Leon McQuay uh, unable to go. Uh, and you're absolutely right. He, he just, you couldn't have asked anymore, uh, you know, for a kid, uh, you know, to do, uh, the two things that, uh, that he did. Um, and he was, uh, and that's what, you know, they're hoping that, you know, guys make great individual efforts, but that they also play within the team concept. And, uh, and that's what he did on, on both of those plays. And, uh, you know, their, their, uh, kickoff return defense has been, so good. I mean, the coverage has just been, and that's the one play that got away from him. And, uh, you know, all you can do at that point is just somebody make, you know, that just extraordinary effort, and he did it. We have, uh, let's see, question from Mike in Irvine. He said, I thought our D-line was solid in the Arizona game, but they seem to rarely get a threatening pass rush. I think it's due in large part to the lack of speed on the defensive line and in the rush linebacker position. Is that a fair assessment? What efforts by the coaches, if any, have you seen to improve the pass rush? And he says, P.S., give a shout-out to my brother-in-law, John, from Long Beach. Hey, John from Long Beach. Uh, we were undergrads together at USC in the 90s, and he introduced me to his sister, who I married soon after. I told him about the podcast a couple months ago, and he has become a loyal listener, so we're even. Uh, thanks for that, Mike, and shout-out to John <laughs> and your bride. <laughs> That's great. That's an even, uh, you know, even trade, I guess. Uh, uh, you get, you know, you get, you get the wife and he gets, uh, uh, the podcast. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I don't think they have anybody, uh, the seniors, 
uh, with that, you know, that special acceleration that maybe you would, you know, they don't, they're obviously no Leonard Williams. Uh, Claude probably has, you know, the best, uh, you know, one, two step. Uh, I will say this. I'm watching and I'm seeing much more emphasis on individual pass rush details where guys are, and, and, you know, the same thing's not going to work for every, everybody. And I do see them much more, you know, working with one another and working in one-on-one stuff, you know, in the past, uh, you know, past, uh, block, past rush, uh, uh, drills. And, uh, you really do see, uh, more emphasis. And, and you see guys working on it on the sidelines where they're showing one another their swim move or, you know, their inside move or whatever. And, uh, it, I would say you're right in that the, the acceleration, this that burst, isn't quite there. And uh, I think they were probably hurt by a scheme that even though we had heard was going to be more penetrate and more be on the other side of the line, play on the other side of the line of scrimmage, when push came to shove at the start of the year, that isn't what they were doing. They were basically holding their spot, getting double teamed, and uh, – all of a sudden, I mean, what Antoine Woods did, I was telling him today, I said, you look like a linebacker. What's going on? I mean, all of a sudden, man, you're playing, you are playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're tripling, you're in one game, you're tripling, uh, your tackles for losses for the whole season. Uh, so something's happening and they know that if they produce up front, they're going to probably win the game. They really are convinced of that. And that's kind of a, you know, a thought in their minds that uh, they haven't had before. And so, uh, you know, I think it builds on one another. And I think having the the big-bodied freshmen behind them also working to get into the game, I, I think it's all, you know, working together. I do think uh, they're going to get better, but they need to. Uh, you, they can't allow, you know, the kind of time that, they do, uh, you know, at times. And, you know, they worked hard. They just didn't quite get there last week. But they did play on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and they did make a lot of plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. They probably just didn't, you know, give uh, Ani Solomon enough hands in his face, uh, even though, uh, you know, he didn't have great success when he just did the straight dropback stuff. But, uh, but. I do think it's an area where they know really, really matters, and they keep working at it. Kind of along the same lines, we got a question from the G, which I love his questions. He said, making a team one-dimensional is essentially a trade-off. While the team limited the Wildcat run game, I think it was just under 70 yards net. The secondary was torched by Solomon. Uh, That approach made Ano look like a Heisman candidate. What would you do different in order to diminish the pass game while still being able to shut down the run game? I realize completely shutting down both is highly unlikely, but it's frustrating to see our team struggle with a team that was overpowered by others. I appreciate your feedback. I like the resolve this team is showing, their toughness, mentality, and physicality. Fight on, guys, the G. Yeah, I I would like to see uh, a better technique at times in the secondary, and uh, I like their aggressive. I'd probably like to see them play play more man that allows them to give run support. Uh, I think they hit 60 yards in 32 carries. So that pretty much, they were convinced if we stop the run, we win the game. It doesn't matter what they do. Uh, They won't be able to make enough plays to beat us 
uh, with the run, pass option, or if they force him to throw the ball all the time, that he won't won't be accurate enough. Uh, I thought they gave up some e- some touchdowns that were too easy. They just didn't look like they uh, had the coverage figured out, you know, right at all. But um, now, what would I do? I think uh, maybe you know take a few more chances with the blitzes. Uh, you know, time it up a little bit more. Uh, maybe you let do a freelance a little bit more, a little bit more of the Troy Polamalu stuff, where you just have him coming from places that they absolutely, you know, can't scheme for, and give them a bad play. Uh, I think the, the idea that USC allows them to make two and three uh, easy completions and move the ball down the field and flip the field fairly quickly—that's that can't happen. You gotta, you gotta give them a bad play. You gotta, you know, put them in, you know, second or third and long. And I, I think they need to do that a, a lot more. And they gotta figure out what's the way to do that. And, uh, you probably gotta take some more chances. You gotta, you know, play aggressive. And, uh, you just have to be not afraid to do some of the, you know, the things that they have to do to make up for the fact that they don't have a Leonard Williams. And they've got, you know, guys with experience uh, who've been around a long time, and they've got uh, some big body talented, you know, young guys, but they don't have, you know, that necessarily exactly right mix. But uh, uh, they're getting better, uh, and just, you know, hope that they just keep getting better. And I, I do think they understand if they produce uh, in that front seven, especially that, you know, the front line guys, and they're playing more for four-man front, which uh, I'm surprised they started in a three and decided, oh, we got to go to a four. I, I don't think that should have been a revelation that they probably needed, you know, the four-man front, and they probably didn't need to wait uh, quite that long before they did it. But, um, you know, that's, those are kind of some of the things I think about doing. We had uh, the cat man had a couple questions. One, I think we talked about, he said, uh, you know, about the Rich Rod's offensive line blocking downfield. So we, we talked about that on pass, on the, the option plays when passing. The second one though, and I don't know if you remember this, and I, I don't, I'd have to go back and look, but he said the first series in the second half, what happened that caused a Dory Jackson to complain to the refs after he was tackled on the bubble screen? He said, keep up the great work, uh, Ryan and team. Fight on the Catman. I'm not sure if that's the one where they pushed him out of bounds and then still, I think somebody, cause I think USC had already been called, if I'm remembering this, this timing right. I think USC had already been called for one of those. And then a very similar thing happened in, a, in almost the exact same place. Uh, if I'm remembering it's the one at right at the Arizona Bay. Oh, that, that was a kickoff. Yeah. Like a, was it kickoff or? But yeah, USC, I think it was Justin Davis got thrown out of bounds, like into the bench area. Yeah, you're right. That was Justin Davis. I don't know what, I don't know what the Adoree thing was. I know that they were thinking that you don't call that on them, but you call it on us. Uh, I know they didn't like, you know, some of the, uh, stuff that was happening near the sidelines, but I'm not absolutely certain. I do re- vaguely remember. Uh, you know, the, a play with a Dory, but I'm not, I'm not sure of all the details, but I, I know they weren't happy after, you know, the quick flag, uh, that USC got that probably was incorrect. And then the, uh, uh, you know, 
looking away when uh, when the, kind of the same thing happened from uh, you know when Arizona was on defense. Here's one that's kind of common. Um, Paul says, "Hey guys, really love the podcast. I'm not trying to make fun of your question, Paul, but this comes up a lot. Um, thank I love the podcast and the effort and time you put in each week." Question for either Ryan or Dan. Is there an understanding as to why USC is not handing the ball off to Ronald Jones 20 to 25 times per game? Eight yards per carry seems to scream ball control to me. Is it strictly related to the concerns of him in pass protection, durability or injury concerns, or do they have playing time agreements, arrangements with the other running backs? Thanks so much and fight on from Paul. I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, I think they, they feel like they really want to give Trey, uh, a chance depending on his health situation and they know there are things he does so well. I mean, he is a great receiver out of the backfield. He is a great pass protector. He is a really good short yardage guy. Uh, so there are reasons why you would want to have uh, a senior leader like Trey you know, on the field. And there are reasons why you'd want to have Justin Davis on the field. Um, he, he does some things that nobody else does. He's got, you know, the ability to go wide and the ability to change fields and change directions and all that. Uh, I mean, I, I think they're moving Ronald. I just think, to be honest, Ronald is better than any of us thought he was. I mean, we all thought he was really good. I don't think we ever believed he could be this good as a freshman. I just think it's, it's kind of taking people by surprise a little bit. Uh, and, uh, I think the run game, the way Sark uh, schemed it out, wasn't absolutely ideal for Ronald. I mean, that you know, the inside-outside zone uh, and the zone read kind of has him going east-west. And he's a north-south runner. And he's a guy that, I mean, I, I think the thing that amazes people is that his ability to run it, you know, inside the tackle. And to just keep running, and all of a sudden, boom, he pops out, you know, of a scrum. Uh, I don't, I don't think anyone knew that. We, you knew he was talented. You knew, wow, he's, and he's different, and he does things that it's hard to say. How did he do that? <laughs> but yeah, but I just think they didn't figure out a way to absolutely. I mean, he's averaging eight yards a run, and yet he still has a number of plays that gets blown up, you know, where he doesn't, you know, get a yard or two. And that probably shouldn't happen. Uh, They still haven't completely figured it out. I do think, though, the fact that they've got him, they had him, uh, they wanted him to get 20 touches uh, last week tells you there the two previous weeks it was 15. So they're moving in the right direction, whether it's, uh, you know, fast enough. But, yeah, there are some issues in his, pass protection, and he'll admit that there are some issues in him catching the ball. He didn't get to do any of those things in high school. They just gave him the ball. Uh, so uh, uh, he's obviously uh, he caught the touchdown pass, so he's getting better. Uh, pass protection, you know, I mean, to my way of thinking, you don't have to pass. You know, if you're going to throw the ball when Ronald's in there, you know, throw it to him. Uh, but uh, I, I – Probably, and you know, do people say, okay, if he's in there, they're not throwing the ball? I just think I, you know, I throw play action with Ronald in there, where you're maybe not necessarily requiring him. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't run 
straight dropback stuff. You just run uh, run play action and run play action to Ronald. And, uh, you know, at least that way you got a chance to block somebody because they're going to come maybe try to tackle you. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you, young Cody's got, got extra time because of the play action stuff. But uh, I think there are ways they can do it. I think they need to do it, though. And, and you're right. They need to figure out a way to, you know, he's got a chance of popping any any play that he has the ball. Uh, he's got a chance. And uh, he's just uh, he's a unique uh, talent. And, uh, I think it's, you know, the way they started the year and the way the run game was, uh, and the way it is now, I think it's had to evolve. And I think they're going to get to more where you guys think they need to get with Ronald and his carries. Uh, speaking of the run game, Tarek had a quick one. Why did the Trojans wait until the second half to commit to the run game? The pass clearly was not there. I think, they they wanted to to run the ball, and Arizona did some things that they weren't ready for. I think the when they were in the two back set and they were going to run the ball and with the lead blocker and all that, Arizona committed to loading the box in ways in which, uh, according to USC, Arizona hadn't done that all year, and that threw them off. And it took them a while to adjust, and it wasn't a matter of uh, you know. They didn't do that until the second. I, and I think, you know, probably you've got T and Tui, uh, Marcus Tui, Asasopa are the kind of guys, uh, you know, that are working on those kinds of adjustments, uh, in the offense. And I think it, it kind of took till halftime to get everybody on the same page as to what they were going to do. And that they would go to the three, a three wide set, which would not allow Arizona to load the box and run out of that. And they figured out how to do it. You would like them to be able to be nimble enough to figure out how to do that after the first series or so. And and it got USC all you know flummoxed in terms of what they were doing. What they uh, you know gained 12 yards or something in the first quarter and 200 and some 224 in the second quarter. So uh, you know they. They adjusted and they got to where they were going going to go. It probably took a little longer than it should have. Uh, and I'm not sure I would, you know, say that, well, Arizona has never done that this year. You should do that. I'm thinking if USC comes out in a two-back set, I'd want to load the box on them. I mean, you know, just because Arizona hadn't done it, you ought to be ready for the fact that they might do it because it makes sense if they, you know, if they do it. And so uh, that's where you'd like to see them have, uh, the ability for Cody to audible, run play action, and uh, throw it to the tight end, dump it off, really, you know, that classic uh, rollout, you know, tight end drop uh, that USC ran for so many years that was money in the bank. Uh, that, I think they need to get there, but the way Sark had the offense set up to start the year, that wasn't kind of a staple of what they were doing and probably needs to be. This is uh, also one that kind of comes up uh, often. Juju Smith, who was an absolute warrior, obviously playing, uh, you know, just a few days removed from surgery. It's from Julian. He says, I got to watch the game live the other night, and man, what a good time. Watching live and with good seats, I noticed that Cody Kessler didn't even really look at any receivers besides Juju when he dropped back the pass. If it was that obvious to me, it must be equally obvious to opposing coaches. What, if anything... 
is the coaching staff doing relative to this uh, tendency, quote unquote tendency that Cody has? Uh, and through his reads and came back to uh, Juju, who has the ability to keep running, who has the ability to dominate, uh, you know, physically uh, most people who are covering him. Uh, and so, you know, they work together a lot. And I think a big part of it is the receivers have to convince Cody, uh, you know, that they're going to be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. I don't think he has to be convinced that kids like Deontay Burnett or, uh, you know, Stephen Mitchell, you know, can get, you know, can catch the ball or what. I just think there's a, there's a certainty with Juju that he is not going to let somebody put him off, push him off his spot or he's not going to allow, you know, somebody to beat him because the ball when it's, you know, it's in the air and all that kind of thing. And I do think it's a kind of a trust, uh, a trust thing. Cody really doesn't want to throw an interception. I mean, you know, you can say that about every quarterback, but he really, you know, his track record is such that that's just something he's not going to do. It's one of the reasons, you know, he uh, he doesn't get rid of the ball real quickly. He really, really wants to, you know, take a look at everything that he, you know, all the possibilities. I do think some of the patterns, I mean, they're not they're not ideal. I mean, you don't see guys breaking free wide open. Uh, uh, for what reason? I I really I really don't know. I mean, to be honest, you watch the game. Juju is more wide open than anybody else, and you think, how is that possible? <laughs> Wouldn't you think Juju'd be the last guy who'd be wide open? But very often, he's wide open, and you look quickly, and you think there wasn't anybody else wide open. I'm not exactly sure how that's happening, but uh, so I mean, I can understand if I were Cody, I'd probably be looking for Juju too, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, yeah, like the other night, first play of the game. I thought it was a good, a good insight into how Clay thinks. First play, first pass play of the game, they throw the ball to uh, Juju. And I know people were saying, wow, that's interesting. Well, Clay's thought was he had only caught a few passes on Friday, and they weren't sure, where is he? What's he going to be like? So they were going to throw it to him right away to see where is he and how is he going to be able to play today. And of course, that's the one he, he extended, made that one-handed, left-handed catch. And they figured, well, he'll, he's going to be fine. He'll figure out some way to catch it. And that's what he did. He, uh, he caught the ball with, you with his body. He caught it opposite of how he often catches it. And he just got such a, you know, a dominant will that, uh, it's hard probably to go away from him. But, uh, but I, I do think, the secret for Cody will be having the ability to throw it to all the other guys. And, um, you know, from now on, uh, I mean, we saw today Deontay Burnett made an absolutely unbelievable play. Uh, Daquan Hampton may have dropped some balls, but he also made, you know, the catch of the day in, in a crowd for a touchdown. Um, just that has to happen more. I mean, there's no question about it. Maybe we'll, you know, start to see it, uh, uh, Friday. I mean, Cody has had good luck against Colorado, to say the least, uh, over the years, and um, uh, been able to throw the ball to a lot of different guys. So uh, uh, Friday might be the time where you you, you see that happen. 
Let's go to Jay and Ukaipa. He says, Dan, I mean, sorry. Uh, he said, Ryan got a suggestion for USC. Uh, maybe you could pass it along. Guaranteed to save the team some lost yardage. Here it goes. Whenever Helton feels like running a dumb bubble screen that's ultimately going to fail, just have Cody take a knee. That way we only lose two yards instead of six or seven. Good idea, right? Uh, just needed to vent. Thanks from Jay and Ukaipa. Yeah, I, I do think they need to block. They need to run those things like they're running plays, and they need to block them up better. And if you don't have the right guys, if you got guys that you know aren't going to quite get there, uh, or you got guys that are going to get overpowered at the point of attack, it isn't really worth running. You're you're right. And if you're going to take a while to get the ball over there, uh, it probably also isn't isn't worth doing. I mean, I just think you got to look at it as a running play, and you run it. When, you know, they're, especially when they're dropped off and, uh, you, you gotta know that they're gonna stay dropped off and it gives you a chance to block them and, 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 you know, get five easy yards. But, uh, yeah, you don't wanna, I mean, and if, you, if, you know, if they decoy it and then they come up, you know, immediately on the snap of the ball and they're flying across the line of scrimmage, it's probably, uh, there's probably not anything you can do about it except, as you say, don't call it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, they've had their moments. I mean, they've had plays where they throw that thing over there. And next thing you know, Stephen Mitchell, they get a block and seal the edge and Stephen Mitchell's running down the, you know, the sideline for a touchdown. I mean, so I think at times we, we don't credit them for the things they do well off the mobile screen. But, uh, but there are times where you just, want to tear your hair out and i can understand that you feel bad for deontay burnett who was the leading receiver for the the trojan i think 83 yards on three plays against cal and then he had one catch for minus six like just he had, he had no shot on that screen yeah he he's the one that got blown up i mean they came after him with like uh and i guess they decided if he's that, for some reason they read i mean they read that play yeah absolutely all the way and uh he had you know you're right that would have been better off uh, taking the knee. <laughs> uh, here's a voicemail question. Uh, here you go, Dan. Hey, Ryan. This is Lindsay from Encino. This is for either you or Dan Weber. want to get your thoughts on whether you think the less than convincing wins over Arizona and Cal will negatively impact Helton's chances for getting the full-time job. Well, I agree it's kind of premature to make full-on coaching predictions. It's hard for me to see Helton getting the job unless he, won, wins out, and who does so somewhat convincingly. I know a win's a win, but we've looked flat more often than not. Um, I will say I was proud that we made adjustments and were able to overcome a double-digit deficit in the Arizona game, which is something I haven't seen from our team in a long time. But still, both of these games have been closer, and I hate to say it, but somewhat sloppier times than they should have been. Do you guys agree, and how, if at all, do you think the way that we've won will impact the coaching search? I just want to say thank you to the awesome podcast and a big shout out to my husband, Matt, for introducing me to your podcast. It's frankly just the best out there and I love it. So thanks so much for all you do and fight on. Really good question. Uh, and, you know, my take would be you keep getting W's, you keep doing things you haven't done before, like, you know, come back from the double digit, uh, you know, starting trailing double digits or you come back and, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter. I think those are all pluses. Uh, the, you know, being flat, uh, this is a young team. They've gone through a lot this year. Uh, they probably don't, 
you know, I, I think it was hard for them. I mean, I think they did a – the Cal game wasn't as close, uh, you know, as that final score. Um, the Arizona game wasn't. I mean, they, there are ways in which they have the ability to kind of make it look, uh, even though, you know, they're they're on offense at the end and all that. They have a, the ability to make it look closer than than it actually was. I think those were two fairly – if they keep winning – those won't matter. All those will be will be he turned them around. He got them going in the right way. They're playing hard for him, even if they aren't, you know, aren't very well organized at the beginning of the game, uh, even if they're making mistakes and all of that. They're overcoming them. They're playing hard. I think they're net positives if they keep winning uh, and if they keep improving. Uh, but, you know, there are the kind of things you can look back at if you don't keep winning and say, yeah, see, I knew it was coming. So I, I think it might be premature to, to decide right now how they're going to impact him. But, but my take would be if they keep it going, those games don't hurt him at all. Uh, you remember the good things. Uh, you know, now there were games with, you know, with, with Pete. We tend to forget, but there were a lot of those games where they just, you know, barely, you know, the uh, Aaron Rodgers Cal game that mattered so much, and he when he completed like 23 straight passes uh, against USC, or the Arizona State game where they actually went into a uh, uh, when Leonard got hurt in the first half and weren't sure he was even going to be able to come back in the second half, and. Uh, they went into a hurry-up run offense with Reggie Bush and Lundell, and they they played hurry-up uh, by not and not throwing the ball. But those were games where people would have said, "God, how did that? How did that? You know, happen? That was that shouldn't have happened." But those things happen, you know, in college football, and and pretty much uh, you know happen to everybody, and. Nobody worries. I mean, you know, look at Ohio State this year. How many of those games they've had against teams not as good as Cal and, uh, you know, in Arizona. So uh, you keep winning, they'll remember the win. Makes sense. And thanks for the question. Uh, we don't get a lot of female callers in there, Dan. So that's kind of no, cool. That was a really good question. I good. mean, that's, it's, a, it's not an obvious answer, I don't think. I think it's one of those ones where the answer is going to, you know, develop. I mean, obviously, if you read the Peristyle, you know, by the end of the first quarter, they had Clay Helton eliminated as a any <laughs> kind of a potential coach. I mean, uh, you know, so you just probably have to look at those and just say, okay, you know, the game's not over yet. The season's not over yet. Uh, let's see how this plays out. But that isn't always the way uh, people let it play out. They kind of want to make a decision right now. And I just don't think that decision is going to be made right now. Well, I hope I hear from her again. And, uh, Matt, thanks for turning her on. Let's, uh, Bear Secutor, this is a little long, but I'll read you along the lines. I'll read what she's saying. He said, uh, Dan, a challenge. Can you think of a single scheme or in-game decision Clay Helton has made, uh, these past two months that is bizarre, inexplicable, or pathetic, like we routinely saw in the Sark Kiffin era? So he's talking about Sark and Kiffin. Helton is unfairly, uh, unfailingly clear-headed, upbeat, calm, focused, knows who he is and isn't a, knows who he is and isn't and doesn't make excuses. You can disagree, uh, with his use, use of timeouts early in the, to settle the team, forego the penalties, uh, on Arizona field goal to get the defense off the field, 
balance Davis and Rojo's touches, many bubble screens, etc. But in every case, he has had a consistent, coherent, plausible reason that he can articulate and acknowledges the specific context. Uh, Helton haters out there in their understandable fever to, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, no, his understandable fever to restore USC football dominance still need to acknowledge Helton is at least a B-plus head football coach. Only a handful of coaches slash teams have had a better past two months than Helton in USC. If he runs a table, he has to be a top, uh, a top, I'm sorry, he has to be in the top 10. I'm sorry, okay. If he runs a table, he has to be in the top 10 and conversation for coach of the year, along with the coaches at Navy, Utah, Iowa, Houston, Oklahoma State, Florida, Michigan, Clemson, all of whom had no off-field issues. Anywhere from six to 60 times more more time to work with their teams and were able to handpick all of their assistants. Sorry, it's kind of a, some long sentences there, but that's from Bearsecutor. What What are your thoughts, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I think you're 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 on the money. I, I mean, I, there might be times where they switched from running the ball to throwing the ball uh, two or three times that I wasn't crazy about, uh, but uh, I wouldn't call him bizarre or whatever. I mean, I, nothing he's done, you know, approaches say the Boston College game last year, uh, you know, for bizarre. Uh, approach to, you know, the USC offense. Uh, and, you know, without the ability, you know, picking it up in the middle of the year without the ability to pick your staff, uh, having to deal with somebody else's offense, and even though you were calling the plays, it still wasn't, wasn't your offense and all of that. So, uh, and now he's doing what we thought was really difficult was for, you know, the head coach to also be the play caller. He doesn't have any choice, but, uh, you know, I think you could give him a pass on, on maybe some of the, uh, slower adjustments. But the one weird thing is, you know, unlike like last year at Boston College where they adjusted to the wrong thing, you know, in the second half, he's adjusted, you know, until it was way too, you know, too late. But he's adjusting to the right thing and they're getting there and, uh, you know, moving in the right direction. So yeah, I was just, we were talking before the podcast with Ryan that, if he runs the table, which would mean obviously you beat you, you know you beat the you win these last three games, you beat UCLA, you you know somehow Utah loses loses uh, to UCLA, which would be the ideal, and you get into the Pac-12 championship game. And if you run the table until then, I think they've got a heck of a shot that they you know they beat Stanford. If that's the case, you get to the Rose Bowl and maybe you play Iowa. And uh, if he runs the table. Uh, I do think he should be in the, in the, uh, you know, uh, running for the coach of the year. I don't think there's any question. He'd be, you know, we, I think we said he could be eight and one, um, and nine and one overall as a, an interim coach. I think we got the numbers right. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he couldn't not be in the running at, at that point. And, uh, uh, he's done a lot of really good things. The players so are, are so responding. And I think they're so grateful for having a steady hand, you know, uh, in charge and a, and a steady voice that, uh, you know, he's got their back. Uh, they're cutting down the penalties gradually, but they're not overreacting, you know, especially on the, the pass interference stuff and all that. If they think the guy's really working on his technique and, 
you know, it's a matter of, uh, you know, a, a, a jump ball call and, uh, you know, they get the bad call. Uh, I, I like the way he's, he's handled all of that. And I think Barrett Peter's got, you know, the right take on, on, on what he said. We, uh, here, we've got a couple more. There's one more voicemail and then a couple emails. So let's, we'll get through these last ones and end the show. Here, uh, here you go. Yeah, this is Richard from Toluca Lake. The question is for Dan Weber. Uh, Dan, on the uh, ESPN last night with the SC game, Rod Gilmore, who was doing the color analysis, said he thought the three top guys for the SC job were John Gruden, Jeff Fisher, and Bob Stoops. I'm wondering if this guy is smoking something that we don't know about, and I would like your comments if any one of those three are viable. Uh, and if not, who do you think would be the lead candidate outside of Helton? Appreciate it. Thanks again. Love the program. Bye. Actually, we are hearing that the third name, uh, Bob Stoops, and it makes some sense. Uh, we talked about this today that there, I think it's really hard to get Oklahoma back to where Oklahoma was. Uh, and he, you know, got them kind of where they are. Uh, because the state of Texas, now that you've got Baylor, and uh Texas A and M and uh TCU where they are, uh there are way fewer players to come out of the state of Texas. I mean Oklahoma used to live on the fact that they could get almost as many good players out of Texas as the University of Texas could. Uh but I think it's hard now uh to get those kinds of players and I think when you kind of run out of you know, and it's hard to get players out of California, the schools are doing a better job. And, you know, when you have a state like Oklahoma that's a pretty decent high school football state but doesn't have the numbers, and you also have Oklahoma State there that's doing a good job, you kind of run out of players, and you can be as good as you can be, but, yeah, probably can't win another national championship. Uh, you come to USC, you can win a national championship. So I, I think the Stoops thing is – probably not wrong uh in terms of whether there's some interest you know you know that way gruden to me is i just don't see that at all i just i mean you hear these numbers that he's being paid like you know espn doesn't have that many really really high paid people and you keep hearing that his you know his salary is just as much as he'd be paid as an nfl coach and you think why would he want to give that up? I mean, do we know what kind of recruiter he'd be? I mean, do we have any idea? Uh, it just doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense to me. It just, nothing about it makes any sense. Uh, and, uh, I'm trying to think, who's the third, the third guy, Ryan? Uh, boom, boom, boom. His third, uh, oh. uh, uh, you know, I don't know here. Let me, I'll, I'll start playing this again and we'll see. I'm trying to think, was it, it wasn't Harbaugh, was it? No, I don't think, here, I'll start playing the middle here. And okay. last night with the SC game, Rod Gilmore, who was doing the color analysis, said he thought the three top guys for the SC job were John Gruden, Jeff Fisher, and Bob Stoops. Okay, Fisher. Okay, yeah, you gotta, you know, say Jeff Fisher. You, you gotta think about him. I mean, I know that there are people who say one of the reasons he took the Rams job was that he always knew that there was a chance the Rams would come back to LA. Uh, and so that gives him one way of getting back here. Uh, the USC job gives him another. Again, I just think Pete Carroll is so unusual 
that he kind of relished the competition that recruiting gave him. You know, he just, he relished competition in every way possible. And recruiting was one of those ways. I'm just not sure that NFL guys, long-time NFL guys, would end up relishing the recruiting. I, I, I'd probably have changed my mind if they would have hired Jack Del Rio. The more I got to know Jack Del Rio uh, and the way he feels about USC and you see the kind of job he's done it, you know, with Oakland this year, that I think he might have been a pretty good choice. And I think they maybe, you know, screwed up. But I just think it's so hard for me to evaluate NFL coaches when recruiting is, you know, so unbelievably important. Now you can say, well, USC is going to recruit for itself and you're, you're in pretty good shape there. But, uh, you really got to like it. You got to like that comp, you know, that competition. And that's something you don't have to do in the NFL. So I get nervous when people say, you know, it's got to be this guy or this guy or this guy. And they're like, uh, you know, NFL guys. Um, I, I don't know enough to know. I don't know. It's not knowable yeah. uh, for some of those guys. And, you know, you're just going to flip a coin. I, 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 I don't quite see it. Yeah. Ricky Ellison was on our show last week and he said, uh, he said that Jack, he talked to Jack Del Rio and Del Rio wanted the job and USC, you know, he said that we took it if USC offered him. So, um, or when I was, you know, a couple yeah, years ago. Yeah, I think that was a swing and a miss. I mean, I think that would have been, you know, if you said, okay, we got Sark or Del Rio, the more <laughs> I think about it, yeah, Del Rio was the way, you know, the way to go. So we got, uh, one more coaching one and then a renovation one. Uh, Jamal says, Hey, Ryan and Dan, why can't we go after a guy like David Shaw? Uh, why do we need a spread shotgun offense? For the next two years, we'll have Max Brown, who is immobile and does us no good to be in the shotgun. He needs to be under center. He is 6'5 and can see over linemen. We need to go back to a physical power run. We play Alabama on the first game next year. That's Jamal. Well, I, I think you can run the shotgun with, you know, Tom Brady's pretty good at it. Uh, Peyton Manning <laughs> is pretty good, you know, in the shotgun, and those guys aren't going to, you know, outrun any of us. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I just think it's your, your basic approach. I mean, I do like, you know, the fact that they're getting under center more. Uh, I think that's a plus, and I, I like that kind of, you know, that's that's probably true pro style now is, uh, you know, being able to do both and, uh, and, and do them well and being able to run out of whatever you're going to, you know, you know, whatever you're going to line up in. And you have to figure out, you know, those ways. And I see Max is kind of a, you know, a guy who can do the kinds of things that those guys are doing. And, uh, and so I, 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 yeah, I wouldn't run a read option. I mean, I, you know, I mean, the next time, uh, uh, Peyton or Tom Brady runs the read option will be the first time, I think, <laughs> in history. And so that seemed like a force. I, I don't, I, I didn't get that at all. Uh, and, and don't understand what the thinking was there. Uh, but, uh, and we never did get an explanation of, of exactly what what were you thinking? Uh, it, it just it, it didn't make a lot of sense. But uh, um, yeah. So anyway, that'll be that'll be my my take on. Uh, yeah, I think Max can do everything you know that they need him to do. And I think if you get whatever coach you come in here is going to say he's going to do uh, what. Uh, makes Max the most effective, and uh, and I think 
you know, I, I mean, you see, like, for example, when people talk about Tom Herman in Houston, they say, well, he's doing this. Well, he's got a converted running, you know, a converted uh, defensive back playing quarterback. But he had three different kinds of quarterbacks, you know, a year ago at Ohio State. And he did, in one season, he did things for three different kinds of quarterbacks, and he made it work for all three kinds of quarterbacks. Uh, so uh, I think that's what the good coaches are going to be able to do. Um, you know, you don't try to pound a square peg in a round hole. You just figure out, okay, this is what he does really well, and this is how we can, you know, make him the most effective, uh, you know, quarterback that he can be. And so you don't – I mean, you know, I think the guy at Navy is an unbelievably good coach, but you're not going to bring him in here. I mean, he – he probably is not going to be able to do that. He's going to, you know, run the triple option. And uh, that isn't going to be what you want. But I, I can't imagine that they would go for anybody who's so locked into a system that doesn't fit the personnel that are here now. And I can't imagine, Dan, somebody hiring, like you make your decision based on a seldom-used backup quarterback, as talented as Max Brown is. But if you're hiring because of, Hey, well, Max Brown is this like that's that you're probably not making the right decision if that's the the main reason by high and hiring somebody. Yeah, and it's the same way you know that you've got to say, oh, you can't bring this guy in right. You know, he'll he won't get here in time, and our recruiting class will be you know whatever. No, you can't. Those kinds of short term. I mean, I saw somebody wrote that bring in uh, you know uh, Kyle Whittingham because uh, uh, he'll keep Sua around next year. You know, <laughs> a Okay, so, you know, he's part of the family, but A, Sue is probably not going to be around no matter what. And even if that did happen, that's not a good enough reason if he's not the right guy. It's not anywhere near a good enough reason. There are a lot of, you know, good reasons to hire somebody, but, you know, for one player, it's not even close to being uh, a good enough reason. We got one last one on the Coliseum renovation from Steven. Uh, we'll get this under an hour. Not too bad. Um, Dan, I think you're spot on with your comments and additional questions to, on the Coliseum renovation. While the proposal is priced at 270 million, could the USC slash Max Nikias campaign goal to raise 6 billion by the end of 2018 be a factor as to why a larger, more extensive and expensive renovation wasn't proposed? While USC doesn't seem to have any problem in raising money, could the larger effort to raise 6 billion be seen by university officials as having priority, making fundraising for the Coliseum project a distraction from Steven. Good point. And I, I was at a the Marshall luncheon today, and I think they announced that they're they're to four point seven million dollars or billion, excuse me, four point seven billion of the six billion. So you know they're getting there, and you do like it that half of that money is committed to scholarships. So that's where they. You know, how long it'll take to get into the Stanford, you know, area, or do you ever get there? But at least you're trying to compete there. And, uh, I think there were like 60 scholarship winners at the Marshall, uh, for the Marshall School of Business. And, uh, and that's really impressive. But, uh, I think it, you know, it makes the point that, uh, that might have been one of the reasons that they said, you know, if we try to go for 500 million, is that, asking a little bit much on top of this six million because they're making it clear uh every dollar that uh uh is uh, every dollar's worth of improvements in the coliseum the athletic department has to raise completely 
and it's separate and uh, uh and they have to according to what they told us they have to have raised it before uh, it goes forward that they've got to raise it in advance so uh, uh they need a big hitter it certainly looks like they need a uh a naming uh right sponsor and a big hitter uh Maybe can they get both? Can they get a big donor and a naming rights sponsor or however they can do that? Can they name it, you know, uh, to some extent after the name, uh, can they name the field, let's say, after the sponsor? And can they name something else after the, uh, you know, the naming, the person that gives them the big bucks like the Galen Center? I don't know, but, uh, I think they've got to do that, and I, I would say the $6 billion campaign is certainly a factor in uh, maybe scaling down a little bit the uh, the rebuilding. I mean, I mean, to me, it's a lot of the work is maintenance. It's not reconstruction of the Coliseum, and uh, they're losing good seats, and they're not replacing them, and, and that's, uh, that's probably not totally acceptable right now, and I hope hope the fans make their will known there that and maybe, you know, step up and, and say, you know, we can raise that kind of money and let's uh, let's figure out a way to come up with uh, more good seats and, uh, and, and, and give the Coliseum more than just a, a facelift. Great stuff, Dan. Went uh, about an hour podcast, but a lot of questions. We got to all of them, which I'm impressed with. There were so many. Thank you so much, everyone, for sending those in. And, Dan, great job uh, answering them all. Yeah, really good questions. Uh, very uh, good, insightful stuff. Uh, uh, we got to encourage all of you to write those in uh, into the Parastyle, too. Yeah, get, <laughs> those, get those you on there. Some really good insights. Great. Great stuff, everyone. And uh, thanks again, Dan. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Probably do a solo podcast tomorrow at some point. Um, no more open practices for the rest of the week. Of course, USC plays Colorado uh, Friday night. So that'll be a fun one. Check that out. And uh, here's a quick message from our sponsor, Michael Moline Real Estate. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael M O L I N E realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.